Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. If you want to turn to Isaiah 9, we're going to start there this morning. I'm sure I'm going to do a big long intro before you ever get there. Uh, but Isaiah 9 will help you uh, when we get there. So I have a, um, I've gotten a little grouchier in my old age and a little more frustrated with some things. Um, Christmas is one of those because our country's taken Christmas to, to so many unhealthy places. Um, obviously, we've commercialized it. Uh, we've made it. We've, we've sort of ruined it by making it about all kinds of stuff about us uh, rather than about Christ. And I even think that the church t- plays a role in some of this. Excuse me, my throat's really dry. But I, I even think the church plays a role in some of this in that um, we, have, we have forgotten what the actual birth of Christ meant to the world. Um, the Bible says, and I'm going to read just tons of verses this morning. Uh, I really want to just saturate you with Scripture this morning. But the Bible makes it crystal clear that there is a moment in history that transformed everything from no hope to hope. Everything went from not going good to this is going to end great. And it's all because Jesus left heaven and came and grew in the womb of Mary and was born uh, in Bethlehem. And so we're going to see that this morning. The, the birth of Christ, it, it's not just about a baby being born. We, we, we all get kind of lost in the, in the baby moment of it. But that baby, as I said it before we sang this morning, that baby is actually the Son of God, the King of Kings. And I'm going to help you see a bunch of that very vividly, I hope, this morning. Christmas is about the power of God sent to literally obliterate sin. Now let me just let you hear that one more time. When you think about Christmas, it's, you get trees in your head, you get you know Christmas presents and families over, all that stuff comes to your head. But here's what Christmas is. Christmas is the Son of God coming to earth to obliterate sin. Literally destroy sin so you don't have to suffer the consequences of sin. That's what Christmas is about. Now we get... You know, we get a lot of other things caught up in Christmas, and I love all the festivities and the fun and the parades and the, you know, the stuff we do. Kind of get a little sideways with Santa Claus some days on that because we kind of overdo him. But, but I don't mind even the gifts as long as we don't forget that it's the whole, the whole point of Christmas. The Christmas story is sin gets conquered in the birth of a baby, right? So when you think of the cradle, when you see your nativity scene at your mom's house, when you go to your friend's house or your own house, and you have a nativity and, and you see that, what I want you to remember when you see that is sin was obliterated. Obliterated. At that cradle. And that's, that's the whole point today. It's not, it's not normal at Christmas to get sin tied into Christmas. But it's the whole point of Christmas. So I'm going to try not to get worked up before I start getting worked up. So... So first we're going to talk about the power in the promises. And uh, we're going to do promises and prophecies. Um, and I, you, you're going to say they're the same thing, but I'm going to help you understand the difference. So, so first, 
uh, from the very first sin that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, uh, they broke the world. The Lord created a beautiful, perfect garden, and Adam and Eve broke it. From the very first sin that they sinned, there is a promise to Eve. And, and the promise, interestingly enough, is in a conversation between God and Satan. And God tells Satan, here's the consequences for what you've done. Here, Adam gets consequences, Eve gets consequences, Satan gets consequences. Here's the consequences for what you've done, Satan. And the consequences in that process, God says to Satan, I will make you and the woman enemies with each other. Your descent, how many ladies here hate Satan? How many of y'all hate Satan? Raise your hand, ladies. All of you ladies. <laughs> All of you ladies hate Satan. Stop, stop acting like you're not paying attention. So, right? We hate Satan. I will make enemies. Uh, we hate what Satan does to our families, to our friends, to us, right? I will make you and the woman enemies to each other. Your descendants and her descendants will be enemies. One of her descendants, here's what it says in Genesis 3.15, New Century. I printed a lot of New Century verses today because the familiar Christmas verses to you in King James, New King James, and New American Standard are going to sound a little richer for you today. We're just going to enhance the with a little different translation. But here's what it says. One of her descendants will crush your head and you're going to bite his heel. That's the promise in Genesis 3 after the very first sin of Adam and Eve. That's the promise that God has. One day I'm going to send a seed from this woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. It's picturesque Hebraic language that says Jesus is going to crush Satan under his heel and Satan's going to nip at his heel. It's not a contest, by the way. When Satan, when Jesus wants to crush Satan, he just crushes him. But there is some pain in it for Christ because first he has to leave heaven and come to earth. Then he has to suffer and be raised on earth. Then he has to be uh, tortured and persecuted by his own people are going to reject him, right? So there's a nipping at his heel the whole time. Even today, when you sin and I sin, the Bible says it grieves God. It grieves Him. So even today, Satan, when he wins a sin battle with you, when he tempts you and tests you, and you sin and you fall and you disobey God, it wounds the heart of God. It's nipping at the heels of Christ. Even today, every sin's nipping at the heels of Christ. But here's what happens. There's coming a day when Jesus comes back. He's going to call all His own to Himself. He's going to separate the lost from the saved. And He's going to send all of them and Satan and all of His minions and all of His helpers are all going to the eternal fires to never, ever bother us again. Ever, ever, ever. They'll never bother us again. That's the crushing that's going to take place. And Christ is part of that. It's a promise from the very beginning, right? Thousands of years later, God spoke to a man named Abraham. Abram, who he was, and then he turned his name to Abraham, one of his descendants. And he said, one of your descendants, Genesis 12, one of your descendants, 12, 1 and 2, says this, all the families of the earth will be blessed by one of your descendants, Abraham, because you're going you're gonna to be the father of the Hebrew nation, and out of that nation is going to come a descendant, seed of Eve, it's going to come from you, and it's going to bless all the earth. All the earth is going to be blessed by one of your descendants. Then we move a thousand years later in time, and we get to a guy named King David. Y'all remember him? The same promise was made, by the way, to Isaac and Jacob, Abraham's descendants, uh, down the road, God reminded them that their grandfather and father was going to have these blessings. thousand years later, God says to King David, you will raise up a son from your descendants who will rule and reign forever. A son from your descendants is going to rule and reign. How long is Jesus going to rule and reign? How long? 
forever. Once he's on the throne, Israel's had one great king named David. He's had some other good kings. I like Netanyahu, by the way. He's not really the king there. He's the president, but I like him a lot. Great guy. Right? Never going to be David. King David was the greatest king Israel ever knew. Right? But then there's a guy coming to replace him known as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Almighty God. Christ is going to rule the throne that David sat on and rule over all mankind from that throne, and He will rule forever from that throne. You're in Isaiah chapter 9. One of my favorite prophecies is Isaiah chapter 9. Again, years later, this prophecy is written, but way before Christ comes, there's prophecy being foretold. There's these promises being foretold. And here's the promise in Isaiah 9 verse 6. And I'm going to read it from the new century because I need you to hear it in that language. A child has been born to us. Right? Your translation probably says, most of them say, for unto us a child is born. And we read it so fast, upside down like that, that we don't remember this part. A child has been born to... Who was the child born to? Northside? Who was the child born to? Yeah, us. (laughs) Jesus was born for me. Right? It's very personal. A child has been born to us. It's on the screen. He will, uh, God has given us to us a son. He'll be responsible for leading his people. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. We sang it in our song this morning. Powerful God, Father who lives forever, Prince of Peace. Look at verse seven. Power and peace will be in his kingdom and will continue to grow forever. So he's got all the power and all the peace. All the peace. He'll rule as king on David's throne. Over David's kingdom, he will make it strong by ruling with, here's what he's going to rule with, justice and goodness from now on and forever. (laughs) I love that new century. Justice and goodness from now on and forever is what he's going to rule with. I can't wait to have leadership, governmental leadership, my king to be in charge because it's all going to be about justice, it's going to be about uh, goodness, and it's going to be forever. The Lord All-Powerful will do this Last verse of this passage says, The Lord All-Powerful will do this because His strong love of His strong love for His people. You know why God's going to rule on the throne for you forever? And why Jesus was born to you and a son was given to you? Last phrase. His strong love for His people. He loves you. Christmas is about Jesus saying, Man, I love them so much. I've got to go help them. I've got to go obliterate sin so I can live with them forever. That's the promises that are made all through the scriptures. Now there's tons more in the Old Testament. I'm not gonna I don't want to spend, you know, till two o'clock here with you doing that. And I have a whole bunch more I want to show you. So we're going to talk about promises. Uh, we just talked about promises. Promises can be a bit fuzzy because you make promises to people and some people keep their promises, and some people don't. Prophecies in the Bible are a different deal. So there's a whole bunch of prophecies about who Jesus is going to be. And the prophecies actually enhance the promises. Because if the prophecies don't come true, maybe the promises aren't going to come true. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't get the prophecies fulfilled, he might. if he's not a prophecy-filling God, he's not going to be a promise-fulfilling God. Right? So I'm going to take you through some prophecies. Edersheim says there's 546 prophecies about Jesus. Most scholars boil that back down because some of them overlap in their minds to a little over 300 prophecies about Jesus. 
So we're going to cover 300 prophecies. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to cover just a few with you. But I'm going to try to help you understand prophecies for a minute. This is how the prophecies of Jesus work. This is a little freaky illustration for you. Let's just say while you, when you get home tonight and you, you know, do your dinner and your laundry, whatever you're doing, get ready for work tomorrow, you're watching football, if you're a football watcher, you're watching those last few NFL games, I don't even know who's playing today. But at 10 o'clock when the news comes on, you hear this as you're trying to walk through your, you know, room with the TV, you hear this, uh, special announcement, Mobile, Alabama, uh, Mobile, Alabama, document found in Romania in a cave. You go, well, that sounds interesting. And then and then you wait for the news to come on and they say, hey, this is just breaking kind of uh, news, archaeological news. But in a cave in Transylvania, Romania, just making up some news here, in a cave in Transylvania, Romania, they found some documents. There's actually ten different booklets by ten different writers that were found in the back of this cave, buried forever, and they've proven them to be about 2,500 years old. So they were written 2,500 years ago. Right? And you go, wow, man, that's crazy. And it mentions Mobile, Alabama? Why would that happen? But then you say, then they say, and even crazier than that, they say, here's what the documents reveal. The documents reveal that one day uh, there's going to be a child born to a man named Dallas Givens. And Dallas Givens from state, his family heritage is from state line. And it, it says, and, and he comes from a place called Yellow Pine, Alabama. Little tiny dot on the map. And he and his wife, Leveda, who is from the tribe of the Maples, it's all in the documents, right? He, he and his wife, Leveda, are going to have a child named Stan and a little brother named Mark. And they, they are going to grow up in a town called, near Yellow Pine called Mobile, Alabama. And the older little brother is going to become a pastor after high school but first he's going to drive a white Mustang. Now this is all in documents buried in a cave. He's going to drive, he's not going to ride on a white donkey. He's going to, you follow what I'm doing here, he's not going to ride a white donkey into Israel. But he's going to drive a white Mustang. And his little brother is going to become a certified fixer of all things. Great and good. And Stan will one day preach a sermon at Northside, which is near a town called Eight Mile, about the birth of Jesus. And on his right will be a cradle, and on his left will be a cross. Now, if you're watching the news tonight, and they find that document, and it's 2,500 years old, you're going to freak out while you're watching that. Go, that just happened today! That was today! It just happened. How could ten different authors writing a book in Romania thousands of years ago in a cave ever figure all that out? How could that possibly be? Right? It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Do you know that the night that Jesus was born, Galatians says it this way, Paul says in Galatians, when the time was right, at the proper time, God sent His Son 
to be born to pay for our sins. You know, there was this magical moment in history where God said, today's the day that either 500 or 300 prophecies, however you figure the Old Testament out, are going to all happen right there exactly like I said they would. Now, is, that just makes my hair stand up. I don't have much, but it makes my hair stand up. Right? It's crazy. So let me just... Let me just take you through a little bit of this power that comes with the prophecy of the Savior. Right? Genesis 22, we're told that He would come through Abraham's offspring. All nations of the earth will be blessed by you. We read that earlier, right? In Numbers 22, Moses says it this way, uh, a star, which is a reference to Jesus, will come out of Jacob. So it's got to come through Abraham and Jacob, the lineage. Isaiah chapter 11, generations later, the prophet Isaiah says he's going to have to come through the line of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David, right? So he's got to come through Jesse and David, King David. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. His roots, a branch will bear fruit and the Spirit. Later, the prophet Jeremiah is going to say he's got to come from the very line of David. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, right? And then, then while David's alive, Samuel the prophet speaks these words to David in 2 Samuel 7. He says, when your days are over and you rest and you rest with your fathers, David, when you die, rest with your fathers, God promises He will raise up an offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and will establish His kingdom. He will build a house for the name of God and will establish the thrones of His kingdoms forever. That was spoken to David while he was still alive about after he dies. Micah chapter 5 says that he's going to come from a town called Ephratath. He's going to come from a town called Ephratath, which is part of a town, or the little town inside that, a region called Ephratath, and the town inside that is called Bethlehem. So Jesus is going to come from there. He has to come from there. He has to be born there. Now, he's, he's from Nazareth, but he has to be born there. Right? That's complicated. That's complicated. Something's got to happen to make that happen. Right? Um, Isaiah 7 says that, uh, we read this earlier, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. So what? You're telling me that Jesus has to be born as from a virgin? That's impossible. Yes. Yes. And Jack's going to explain how it works later because he's got this whole book he's written on it, this fascinating little booklet that he wrote about the virgin birth. Right? Um, and then Jesus actually... Psalm 72, 9 and 10 says this, May the desert tribes bow before Him uh, and His enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and distant shores bring tribute to Him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present Him gifts. The song of Psalm 72, we've been studying the Psalms. Psalm 72 has two lines in it that says, One day, some desert people are going to bow before Him. By the way, that's the shepherds. It's a picture of the shepherds. They, they were shepherding in Bethlehem near the desert. right? They're going to bow before Him. And not only is that, but kings are going to come from afar and present gifts to Him. That's all spoken of in, in uh, the Psalms. When, David was born, uh, when Jesus was born, King Herod slaughtered a number of children. Remember that? Horrible thing. Hundreds of children, thousands of children died 
because King Herod heard there's a king coming and he had just been born, so he's like, i got to kill all the children so no king can take my place. Right? When that happens, uh, Jeremiah pr- predicts, a voice will be heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jeremiah prophesied that very event in response to this uh, attempt on Jesus' life. What, did jo- what was Joseph married told to do by an angel? Go to where? Y'all remember where he had to flee? Go to Egypt. Well, imagine that. It's a very specific place. Hosea chapter 11, years before Jesus ever born. Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. I had to get him out of Israel, get him out of Judea into Egypt to protect him. Now, that's just a handful of the prophecies, right? Of Jesus. And every single one of them came to pass the night he was born, a ton of them just instantly were fulfilled. Right? So the chances, there's 300 plus prophecies. Edersheim says 500. But if you take the low number, 340 something prophecies about Jesus' birth and life and how he's going to live and how he's going to die and what he's going to do. Right? If you only take 48 of those prophecies and have them fulfilled specifically, this is what it looks like as a percentage odd that it would happen. That's one with 157 zeros behind it. Bless my wife and Miss Andrea for putting all that together and then putting all the commas in the right place. Right? One, that's 48 of the 300 prophecies. We don't have a board big enough to do the 300. We don't have a wall big enough. Because every, every prophecy after that, it exponentially goes up so big, there's, I mean, numerically, it's almost impossible to write. You've got to have that little X to the whatever, right? So this is 1 times 10 to the 157 power of 48 fulfilled prophecies. 48 of them. And yet Jesus fulfilled 300 plus. No problem, right? So there's power in who this is. When Jesus showed up on earth, it was like God going, see, I told you, just like I said. Now, everybody that heard those prophecies, when Abraham heard it, David heard it, Jeremiah heard it, Isaiah heard it, Micah heard it, when they all heard their little pieces, it wasn't all a picture yet. It was pieces of a puzzle, right? It was all little pieces. They're like, he's going to come from Bethlehem? Really? What does that even mean? But then, Jesus' life, literally, Jesus' parents literally had to go to Bethlehem to fill out the tax deal. So let's talk about the virgin birth itself. And uh, let's let's go to Luke chapter 1. Let me just let you hear a couple of quick things. Luke 1 and 2. We'll look at the Christmas story before we take on a psalm here at the end of our service today. Some of you I've given a little piece of paper to. When I get to that psalm, you're going to help me with it. So, <clears throat> so, so Luke chapter 1. The angel comes to Mary, who's, we think, a teenager, young teenager, and says, Mary, God has shown you grace. Listen, you'll become pregnant and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. Uh, He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. So what's he going to be called? Say it out loud. The Son. Say Say it like you're familiar with his name. When you get to heaven, you're going to want to know his name. I promise. He will be called the... Every time a demon 
every time a demon is confronted with Jesus, you know what they say? Don't hurt a son of the Most High God. They know. Demons know. They know He's the Son of the Most High God. The angel tells Mary He's going to be named the Son of the Most High God. The Lord will give Him a throne, the kingdom of David. That's fulfillment of that. His ancestors, He'll rule over the people of Jacob forever, tied to Jacob. Uh, his kingdom will never end. Mary says, how can this happen since I'm a virgin? God, uh, the angel goes into this great explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will cover you. For this reason, the baby will be born, be called the Son of God. Now, and then he goes on and says, by the way, Elizabeth, your relative, she's also pregnant, even though she's very old. She's going to give birth to Jesus' cousin, uh, John the Baptist. Um, all that's good. So Mary says, verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. I love this verse. I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen as you say. The older translation says, be it unto me according to your word. If your word says so, I'm in. Be it unto me according to your word. That's what Jesus, or that's what Mary is willing to do. So then you have chapter 2. And I just want you to know when this chapter happens, if you want to write something interesting in your Bible above this chapter, uh, you could put something like everything changes right here. Everything. Everything historically changes right here. It's been promised and it's been prophesied but it's about to take place. At that time, Caesar Augustus sent an order that all the people, verse 1, in the countries under Roman rule must list their names in a registry. This was the first registration. <clears throat> Which registration was it that he was doing? It was the first time. Anybody done that? First registration. It was to be taken while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And they all went to their own towns to be registered. Mary and Joseph are in a town called Nazareth. But Joseph isn't from Nazareth. He's from a town called Bethlehem in the region of Ephratath. And he goes, Mary, oh, I hate this for you because you're expecting. We have to travel. We're going to have to go to Bethlehem and fill out our tax forms so we can be taxed. Yay, stupid Roman government. No, government is always under God's control. What's God doing? He's saying, hey, I need you to get to Bethlehem before she births that baby. It's got to happen in Bethlehem. It can't happen in Nazareth. It's got to happen in Bethlehem. So get on the donkey and go. And here they go. All the rooms are full. Oh my gosh. So Joseph left Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea, known as the town of David. Right? Joseph went there because he was from a family of David. He registered with Mary, whom he was engaged, and she was also pregnant. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came... Imagine that. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her first son. Because there were no rooms in the inn, she wrapped the baby with a piece of cloth and laid him in a box where animals are fed. New century. Laid him in a box where animals are fed. Here's my favorite part of this story. Verse 8. Love this part. This is just pure blue-collar no-collar, hard-working boys out in the field. That night, some shepherds were in the field nearby watching their sheep. Now, let me tell you who the shepherds are. They're as low-class, blue-collar commoners as there are. They're not, they're not allowed to witness in court because their testimonies can't be trusted because they're, they're thought to be slow. <laughs> you work with sheep, you're slow. I guess that makes pastors slow. So, But here's the deal. They literally are just at work. 
This is not like Christmas season. There's, they haven't decorated the town with Christmas lights or anything. This is a, a normal night. They're out in their fields, not far from this barn, the shed where Mary's going to have Jesus. They're out in their fields watching their sheep on a regular old work night. And they're common people. They're paid the lowest. They're just a step above what they call an ultimate doulos slave, a, a non-counting census slave. A shepherd is just above that in rank, literally not allowed to speak in court. They're not allowed to, you don't take a shepherd to court where you to defend you. He's not allowed to say anything. He's not trustworthy. He's not clear-headed, right? That's who the angel shows up to. That night, shepherds were in the field watching the sheep. An angel of the Lord stood before them. That's got to freak you out. The glory of the Lord was shining around them. We sang of His glory this morning. The glory of the Lord is shining around the shepherds and the angel. So can you imagine just talking to this, I don't even know what the angel would look like, but it's clearly something that they recognize as an angel, right? And there's this glowing thing happening all around you. You know something weird's going on, right? It's like we're having a twilight zone moment, we're having a outer limits moment, something freaky's happening right here, guys. And you're with your buddies, you know, just simple guys. You're like, whoa, what's going on? So the angel says, don't be afraid, because they were frightened. Don't be afraid, I'm bringing you good news that will be great joy to all the people. The stuff I'm telling you is for everybody. And you're going to have, you've got good news now. Here's the good news. Look at verse 11. Today, your Savior. Whose Savior? Yeah, just good old shepherds, man. They're out in the field just having a common old working day. They're literally just hoping, you know, wolves don't mess with them. They're hoping the neighbor's sheep aren't a problem. They're hoping some of the sheep that don't sleep at night will go to sleep tonight and not make noise all night. They're hoping none of them get sick because we got to take care of them if they get sick. If we just get a good night's rest. And then all of a sudden, this shepherd or this angel shows up and says, your Savior is going to be born. Your Savior is going to be born in the town of David, which is right down the road, by the way. He is Christ the Lord. The angel uses all the names. He's your Savior. He's Christ. And He's the Lord. Christ the Messiah the chosen one, the sent one, the rescuer, the redeemer. This is how you, simple shepherds, whoo, that's me. This is how you will know him. In other words, the angel goes, I'm going to give, I'm going to make this simple. Here's how you're going to know him. You ain't got to be rocket scientist. Go look for a baby wrapped in a manger, wrapped in clothes, laying in a food trough. You find a baby like that, that's him. <laughs> right? That's what he says. You'll find him wrapped in pieces of cloth, lying in a feeding box. And then a very large group of angels. You talk about getting your heart racing, man. These guys were just like, we were just having a simple night. What happened? A large group of angels from heaven joined with the first angel, began praising God. Why were they praising God? Because everything just changed. He, the people next door, right down the street, just learned the news of the baby. And the angels were like, man, this is glorifying. This is awesome. We gotta, we gotta sing. We gotta, Praise God. They were giving glory to God, praising God on the earth. Let there be peace among the people who please God. When the angels left, went back to heaven, the shepherds looked at each other and said, you know, let's just go to Bethlehem and see these things that have happened, which the Lord told us about. Let's go do that. So the shepherds went quickly, found Mary and Joseph and the baby. <clears throat> Imagine that, lying in a feeding box. When they had seen Him, verse 17, they told what the angels had said. 
And they said, hey, the reason we're here is because this freaky glowing angel showed up with a whole bunch of his friends and told us you were here. Now Mary and Joseph got to go, really? That is kind of freaky. Y'all are shepherds. Are you sure you haven't been like, you know, dipping or what the, eating the weeds the sheep aren't supposed to eat? I mean, what are you talking about? No, really, an angel came. Well, you know what? Who visited Mary and Joseph before that started all this? An angel. So the angels are, the angel talk is all around them. And they're all starting to agree with each other. And here's what it says. Everyone was amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured them in her heart, continued to think about them. Then the shepherds went back to their sheep. That's got to be weird. Praising God, thanking Him for everything they had seen and heard. It happened just like the angel said. And just like God promised thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago down to the very last little tiny detail. A baby in a manger. Men from the desert are going to come and witness it. Kings from the east are going to come and worship Him. Two years later, by the way, I always tell everybody with your little nativity scene, right? put the camel out in the... you know, Put your camel in the shed. Uh, don't put your camel with your nativity scene. The, the kings are two years late. Not late, they're just two years later. So <laughs> always, always think the camel should, should be in the kitchen. If you got your nativity scene in the living room, put the camel in the kitchen. Right? What's he doing over there? Well, he's on his way. But he's not there. He cannot get there for two years. Right? He can't, he can't just be standing there with Jesus while he's born. Anyway, I'm a little picky about all that. My wife doesn't ever change our nativity scene. It just stays just like it is. So, <clears throat> but listen what happens on this night. Okay? Something's changing immediately upon this night. Stars are literally aligning to draw kings from foreign lands to come see the baby. Stars are aligning to make that happen. Thousands of angels have come to earth and are singing over shepherds. Right? There's a stable in a remote village where the glory of God is present in the in a baby in a feeding trough. So a stable literally has become a temple, a shrine for Jesus. Right? Kings are traveling. Shepherds are becoming witnesses. Who knew? Shepherds are becoming witnesses. I told you who these shepherds are. The Bethlehem shepherds. Right? They're very important shepherds. They're the ones that identify the good sheep that can go to the temple to be slaughtered. Their job, literally, is to raise sheep that are fit to go to the temple for slaughter. For Because you have to have... Remember, you can't have a spotted lamb. You have to have a clean lamb. It can't be blind. can't have any wounds on it. can't have any problems. These shepherds in Bethlehem, that was their job. So when the angel showed up, you know what he's basically saying? Hey, you want to see the real thing? Let me show you the real thing. It's right down the road in the barn. He's in a feeding trough. But he's the one spotless lamb that we're ever going to need. He finishes your job forever. You're out of a job, buddy. When he goes to the cross, you're out of a job. No need for a lamb to die now because the perfect lamb. And Jesus, the angel came to shepherds that identify lambs, healthy, good, right lambs, and said, hey, go, go take a peek at that one. Just so you know. And they, they were, man, that's just so awesome. So these blue-collar men are standing in the presence of greatness. Everything changes. The audience to the angel, uh, the, uh, their audience to angel choirs, and then this child is born, the Bible says, to us. Not just to Mary and Joseph. The child is born to us. Right? Now there's a beautiful passage where Simeon 
in the temple tells Mary, your heart's going to get pierced. Your heart's going to get pierced by the birth of this child. This is going to be hard. Because in order for Him to obliterate sin, He has to become a sin bearer. And He's going to have to die on a cross. Which is all in the prophecy, by the way. So when Mary's binding stuff up in her heart, it gets very hard for her. But the cradle, Jesus came as a baby, but He also came as a king. And He came to make all things new, including you. Would you agree with me that you are new in Christ? If you've trusted Christ, how many of you by show of ha- proudly show of hands say, I know I'm new in Christ, man. I, I am not the same as I was. That happened right here. Well, not right exactly here, but picturesquely, it happened in the cradle in Bethlehem. You became new when He came. He came to make all things you knew. He came to you. It was personal, right? It began 2,000 years ago, and it's an ongoing work that He's doing till he, till he returns. The cradle was leading to the cross, and the cross leads to your transformation. The cradle leads to the cross. That's next week. And the cross leads to your transformation. You don't think that was an awesome night, buddy? It wasn't just this all sweet little, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down His sweet head. I mean, I love that little song. Sang it all the time as a kid. Had my kids sing it to me. Taught a bunch of little children's choirs singing over the years, right? Cattle are lowing, but, you know, the little Lord Jesus, no, he never wakes up when the cattle low. I don't think that's true, by the way. I think the cattle probably bothered him. So, you know, he's a baby. Like, what's that noise? <laughs> Jesus cried like a regular baby, right? He had problems like all babies. He was he came as one of us. So let's let's go to Psalm 24. This is where some of you are going to help me in a minute. And then I'm going to have you all all help. I'm going to help you all. Psalm 24, verse 7 says this, Open up, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. That's how you let people into your fortress back in the day. You had to open the gates, right? Uh, King James translation, somebody got that in front of you? Lift up your gates. Is that what it says? Lift up your heads, but it's the gates. It's literally the, the head of the gate, the city is supposed to be open. Open up your gates and be lifted up, O ancient doors. Why? So the King of glory can come in. The psalmist goes, well, who is this King? Who is this capital K King that's going to come into us? Who is the King of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Open up, O gates. And let Him, He's been out battling for your sin. He's been out battling to overcome death and hell and the grave for you. Open up the door and let Him in. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. We would say in uh, the Lord of the angel armies. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the King of glory. So there's this little phrase in this verse that I love. Who is this King of glory? You see it? on the screen. Who is this King of glory? And Jay has number one. All of y'all have a number on your little card. So you got to keep up, right? Who is this King of glory? Who's ever, Jay is number one. Jay, who is the King of glory? The wonderful counselor. Who is number two? Who is the King of glory? He's the mighty God. Who is this King of glory? He's the Prince of Peace. That's who He is. 
the baby in the manger. That's who he is. He's the Prince of Peace. Somebody's got one of my. He's the Son of the Most High God. Who's got the next one? Who is this King of Glory? He is the stone. Who is this King of Glory? He's the captain of the host of the angel armies. He's captain. Right? Who is this King of Glory? He's the rock of our salvation. Who is this King of Glory? He's the light of the morning. Who is this King of Glory? He's the shield about us. Psalm 3, shield about me. Who is this King of Glory? I know, I know we got one more. No? Anybody I got the next one? Alright, so I'm going to help you now because you're going to do the rest with me. You're going to say to me, who is this King of Glory? You say it to me. Psalm 18 says He's my deliverer. Your turn. Psalm 23 says He is my shepherd. He is the cornerstone. He is the safety of my high tower. Proverbs says He is all wisdom. Proverbs says He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. Say it again. Okay? He, he, he is our sanctuary. He is our strength and our song. Isaiah 25 says He's strength to the poor. He's a refuge from the storm. He's a sure foundation. Come on. Not done yet. He's a river of living water in dry places. He's the Holy One of Israel. Come on. He's our leader and our commander. He's the potter for our clay. He's the balm of Gilead. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Prince of Princes. He's King over all the earth. He's the Refiner that takes care of us. He is, Jeremiah says, the hope of all our salvation. Matthew 18, one New Testament reference. He's the friend of sinners. Come on now. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Guess who your friend is? The King of glory. The King of glory. The baby that came. It's not just a little Christmas story about a little baby in a manger. It's about Jesus coming to be a friend to sinners and obliterating the separation between us, taking the sin out of the formula. It's a season of transformation. Christ begins a season of transformation. We did a, a script, uh, musical here years ago. I did it in Birmingham and I brought it down here because I loved it so much called The Wonders of His Love. You can find that online somewhere. It's just some great music and some great... All it is is music and dialogue in between. And here's what it says. It's a night of transformation. A season of transformation. The angels became a choir. The shepherds became honored guests and witnesses and were hosted by royalty. Traveling kings bowed down before a young child. A star became a beacon. A stable became a temple and sanctuary. 
a manger became a throne, a virgin became a mother, and the Father Himself became a child. And listen, and sinners like me and you, we became adopted. We were adopted. We became, we, we, sinners became saints. Sinners were adopted as sons and daughters. Orphans became family members. The hopeless, all of us, the hopeless are shown hope. This year, God is doing a transformation in all of us. Every Christmas is a season of transformation. Every day is a, is a day of transformation because that day happened. And it was a fulfillment of all kinds of crazy stuff that was impossible to happen to the 157 zeros plus. And yet Jesus says, Jesus says, I love you. I'm going to redeem and make you new. You do not have to be tortured and terrorized by sin. You do not have to live in all kinds of uh, failed and hurting life. You can have joy, hope, and peace, abundant life here on earth. And better than that, I'm going to take you home to be with me and you can have a perfect eternity with me. That's what Christmas is about. It's all powerful. It's not some little sad, quiet little holiday. Christ came to a stable full of dirt, dirty and filthy and dark place, destined, there He was destined for the cross so we could live pure. One day we're going to live in a pure home with Him. We're going to be clothed in His righteousness and have God as our light. It won't be dark there. It won't be dirty. Heaven's going to be pure and filled with light. Christmas is about the all-powerful love of God. Amen?